Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the July 5th, Tuesday edition of The Way with Anoa. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Anoa Changa. Thank you so much for joining me 15 minutes early. Um, so much happened today, really all revolving, of course, one issue. I mean, there's so much else that happened in the news and in the world today. So I just want to thank you guys for you know hopping on a little early for those of you who are able to make it. Um, I am going to do something that I normally don't get to do because I end up on a rant or two. Uh, I am going to take calls starting at 8 o'clock from 8 to 8.30. Call in. You want to talk about um, the Clinton emails, email gate, whatever you want to talk about, you know, come on, hop on. Um, I want to give you guys, you know, a place to, 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 to speak and express yourselves. Um, you know, to help make sure we can get as many people on the line as possible. Let's try to keep comments, you know, to like a minute, minute and a half. Um, yes, I just wanted to want to be able to make sure we have, you know, a space for people to come and talk. And if you're pro Hillary and you think this is a great thing and we all need to move forward, I'd like to hear from you too. I mean, I really do think that we need to have conversational spaces and places to engage and continue to build forward and whatever that absolutely has to look like. Um, the number for calling in is 857-600-0518. Definitely will want to hear from you starting at eight o'clock. Um, also this evening, because it cannot be all about Hillary and those dang on emails, I will be talking with a brilliant author and editor about a new publishing imprint that will be starting up. Um, Jonathan will be joining me at 830. So um, we're going to kind of, you know, segue from the email conversation to another more positive conversation, maybe touch a little bit on, you know, what's been happening in Puerto Rico as well. Jonathan is a Puerto Rican um, writer and editor, and he has a new imprint he wants to talk about with us. So um, it should be an interesting conversation tonight. I uh, just wanted to kick it off a little bit. You know, there's tons of stuff going on in the news. Um, yesterday was the 4th of July, you know. Various folks took to Twitter to talk about why, as an African-American, Native American, Puerto Rican-American, I mean, just so many different reasons, you know, why people weren't necessarily celebrating the 4th of July. And, you know, some folks got a little agitated with that. But um, I really do think that, you know, shout out to everyone who felt the, felt the need to, you know, express themselves, um, whatever shape or form that's look like. It is really interesting when you look at everything that's going on in the world and in our communities that somehow we're supposed to just magically stop on this one day and say, hey, real American, isn't that great? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I too sing America. I too live here. This is also my country. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's so many continued issues, structural in inequities um, that have been built into the system. At the time, the founding fathers were celebrating their independence. They were subjugating, defaming, degrading, um, hundreds of thousands of others in the process. So it really is an interesting reflection. And it's definitely one that needs to happen more than just on the 4th of July for the Twitters. Um, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be ongoing as we look at what policy changes and issues need to be adapted going forward. Um, also this week, um, I believe preliminary hearing started for the next officer in the Freddie Gray series of trials. Um, as you guys remember, these trials are happening back to back all, all summer long. Um, we just had the second non-guilty, not guilty verdict, you know, just a few weeks ago. The first case, of course, ended in a mistrial. This is now the fourth case in the, the line of six. Um, I just saw a post. I got tagged in a post by a friend of mine. Uh, I use, I love him dearly, but sometimes I wonder why we're friends. I, uh, you know. Anyway, so there's a, I guess, um, a Georgetown professor has actually filed um, for disbarment proceedings against uh, Prosecutor Mosby um, from, you know, from Baltimore. Um, who, she is, of course, the person who the prosecutors brought the charges against the six officers. Um, you know, who were responsible for what occurred um, and ultimately led to Freddie Gray's uh, passing. So um, I, I don't know how I really, what I really think. I mean, you know, the allegations include that she just, um, basically that she was reckless in bringing these charges, that she did not um, have a real plan, that there's no evidence, that it's just basically rising to the level of malfeasance and that she needs to not be in office in that position anymore. Not just that she needs not be in a position, but she needs to lose her law license. This is what the allegation um, and the claim has set forth. So 
I don't, I don't, not, I'm not even going to pretend to know anything about disbarment proceedings. I'm not going to, uh, I've, like many of you, I've been, you know, once I, as soon as I got off work today, I've been kind of knee deep in email gate. So <laughs> getting up to speed. So I, I'm not even going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of what the disbarment proceedings be or whether this is even a real credible issue for Prosecutor Mosby or not. What I do know is that she seems to be someone who, although it may have seemed rushed in the wake of what was happening in Baltimore um, last year, it it seems like she has tried to take the time to actually act, right? Instead of, as so many other prosecutors have done, just look the other way or go over above and beyond to exonerate, you know, potential defendants before your proceedings even begins. So, you know, I know there's like, there's criticism of her strategy. There's criticism of whether or not she should rough charges. Did she bring the right charges? But at the same time, you know, it's really easy to sit there and say what we would or would not do when we're not in that position ourselves. Particularly some of, in many situations across the country, we're demanding that prosecutors do actually act and use existing law. And that's what she's doing. She's trying to use existing law to address an issue that clearly did happen because of, you know, action by these officers. Now, whether that rises to the criminal level of, you know, culpability, that's, you know, arguable. And that's what she's, of course, and her team are trying to prove. Um, the next thing that um, that I want to just touch on is, you know, we, we had the we had to sit in um, ahead of the, 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 the 4th of July break from Congress, you know, um, we've also had all the different hashtags about, you know, disarm hate. And there's all this stuff about we got to protect people from foreign nationals and we're worried about ISIS. Well, the worst, I believe it is the worst terror attack, at least in the past year, if not greater, um, just took place in Iraq. Um, a, well, first, actually, on the, and, and, and this is the end, of, this is the end of Ramadan. Ramadan is the Muslim holy month. Um when we talk about, you know, radicalized Islam, we talk about, you know, those Muslims do this. The recent attacks should put to rest all of that nonsense because ISIS or whoever these people are, they don't care about anybody. They do not care about, I mean, they, they should not be other Muslims. People should disavow them. And many people have disavowed them because to, to carry out attacks against people Regardless of whether you're of the same, you claim to be of the same faith or not, but it, it, it's like the lowest of the low to attack people during a holy month and in whole in a, in a holy place. There was a um, there was an attack in Medina, I believe it was yesterday, and there was attack also in, in Baghdad. Um, the attack in Baghdad, I believe it was over 200 people were killed. Um, and and it's just it's on the it, it's Eid, you know, it, it's 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 so insane it is it, it's beyond reprehensible um and just we, we sit here and we're so worried about the random maybe one or two things that may happen within a five-year span but there is a real issue there is a real battle going on in in people's homes like in in, in their immediate in their marketplaces like people are living real fear and terror because of poor decision making from our leadership um, and while we're sitting here having sit-ins trying to bar people from being on terror, who are on terror watch lists, from being able to have guns, we have people who are actually blowing up and murdering people by the hundreds um, in other countries due to actions and inaction and poor decision making, taken by people who rest comfortably on their laurels here right now. Um, hi, JP. <laughs> JP likes to pop in and check on me and make sure I'm staying on task. So definitely get ready to open up lines. Just want to just holler at you guys for a little bit, kind of get things warmed up and going. We're doing calls starting at eight o'clock, just four minutes away. Um, 857-600-0518. I know you guys have a lot to say. I know there's a lot in your mind, you know, just keep it, keep it respectful. You know what I'm saying? Keep it clean folks. Keep it clean. Keep it respectful, PG show. Um, but I definitely want to hear what you guys got to say. So um, 
just 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 real briefly, the other two things, just just two things, they're kind of silly, but you know, I they matter to me. Um, one, there was a there was a Twitter, you know, hashtag um renew Doc McStuffins. For those of you who may not be aware, Doc McStuffins is the most adorable little girl. You know, she is a doctor and she treats it seemed like it was in limbo or that it was not going to be renewed. Now, Disney Jr. has since tweeted out that as long as there are animals who need, you know, tending to, Doc McStuffins will be in office. Um, but people are still pushing to get a definitive answer. Is Doc McStuffins returning? <laughs> and when I mean the hashtag it's definitely another one of the viral hashtags it's a big deal but it's also a big deal because not just because okay it's a cartoon but it's about representation you know little girls get barely little brown girls like my daughter rarely ever get to see little girls in a positive representation who look like them and there are more and more examples of that these days than there were than we than I was a child but it's still, you know, Doc McStuffins, I mean, the, the product, product, products and, you know, the ratings. I mean, it's it's high. It's a highly rated show. Um, little boys and girls alike, both all like the show. The sales are ridiculous. So um, it, it definitely caused an alarm for many parents on aunties, uncles, otherwise, you know, on uh, the Twitters. <laughs> Um, but there may be some indication that they're changing the format of her show too. So yeah, I know you guys really care about Dr. McSuffins, but that was something that I thought was interesting from this weekend. Um, and the other thing, you know, we talked last week about Jesse, um, Ben had April rains on to talk more to unpack about Jesse as well. Apparently there is a petition for ABC to fire Jesse or people are boycotting or people are threatening to boycott Grey's Anatomy. Well, Shonda Rhimes, who <laughs> is the queen of ABC Thursday night, you know, she's the, the brain master behind uh, Grey's Anatomy, behind Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and that other show that I don't, I don't watch any of them, but that other, there's another one, American Crime or whatever it is, I definitely can't say in that one. But anyway, it's, it's another rated show. People like it. People watch it. But anyway, she has said that <laughs> boo don't need no petition. Shonda, Shonda rules. So apparently Shonda Land rules ABC. Um, Shonda brings in the money. She brings in the ratings and they know a side that bread is bread on. Jesse tweeted out himself. Don't worry about people in the clickbait. Like there's no reason to even be concerned. This is who he has been for a very long time. They have known who they got when they, they put him on the show. So, um, yeah, uh, but phone lines, I'm taking calls, you guys, Eight. <laughs> sorry, forgot the number for a second there, 857-600-0518, 857-600-0518, um, want to hear what you guys want to say, you know what I'm saying, like Clinton email gate, you know, is over, at least this this investigation um, into the use of what actually, as Director Comey explained earlier today, is actually multiple email servers and multiple devices um, in terms of the misuse, mishandling um, of classified and in some cases top secret information. Um, you know, I want to hear from you guys. What do you guys think? Like, I can tell you what I think. Um, I was actually someone who never really cared to pay attention to all this. I never believed that she would actually be indicted. Um, did not think that there would be charges of any kind. But I'm surprised actually, I'm I'm surprised. I was actually surprised today to hear the 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 veracity, the um the strength of this condemnation and the statements that Director Comey actually made. Um, regarding, you know, what they found in terms of Secretary Clinton, her army of lawyers who went through, who didn't, who perused, you know, that's one of the things that he noted that, that they, you know, one of the things that was said was they read all through all the emails carefully and returned what they were supposed to return. He said they actually deleted way more emails than they actually returned. It is likely, you know, it is likely that emails were deleted that should not have been deleted and should have been returned. There were emails that were not, there was about several thousand emails he said that should have been returned, but were not returned. I mean, there was just the level of egregiousness is is ridiculous. But because, you know, she's Hillary Clinton, we're going to come down on the side of caution and say, well, she was excessively careless 
She is reckless, basically, but she wasn't grossly negligent. This excessively careless BS standard sounds more like that reasonable suspicion nonsense that the Supreme Court allows for people to be stopped, frisked, um, and otherwise prosecuted. You know, I mean, Chuck Hobbs, attorney Chuck Hobbs, shout out to Chuck Hobbs, my, my new Twitter friend. Hi, Chuck. Um, has a really great piece out today. Um, it's a blog piece on the Hill about how, well, there's actually, there's a couple different pieces out there from even a year ago. They talk about the double standard and the prosecution and investigation. Um, but, but, but specifically Chuck talks about how there, there is clearly, I mean, if you didn't believe it before, you definitely know it now that there is a, there is a distinction between those who are the rich and the powerful and the elite and the rest of us. I mean, because, you know, for anyone, if you are, you know, a government employee and there, there are very, very strict guidelines and rules and regulations and there are videos and packets and trainings, et cetera, et cetera. So this whole notion that, well, we don't know that she actually intended to do what she did, but, you know, because she did what she did, it was still reckless and she should have known, huh? It's like really it's, I, I just can't wrap my mind around it. And so I definitely want to hear if any of you guys have trickled in, uh, want to hear from you, call in 857-600-0518 just to see kind of what you're thinking. Um, how's it going? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about in this case, you know, is it really over? Should we just get over it and move on? I mean, do we just say, you know, okay, well, she wasn't criminally charged. So, all is fair and love and war and now on to the general election do 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 those of us who you know still steadfastly stand behind senator bernie sanders do we now you know push even further for superdelegates to weigh in um in his favor do 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 folks who are going green do you are you using this now to ramp up your efforts in terms of recruitment and ballot efforts i mean this is pretty scandalous you know on the one hand we have one party that's saying it's okay you know we're the good guys don't worry about the fact that our chosen number one is reckless and careless she's the best for the job well what job are you taking I mean, what is this, a mafia syndicate we're running? Like, this is insane. You are you are inept at you are you are you are careful and able to evade prosecution. That is a job qualification now. Like, what job is that a qualification for? You know, when President Obama is out there, you know, today began, you know, it's no coincidence that this allegedly all these actors had no clue, right? that this was happening. They all have been independent of each other. Wink, wink. Um, but, you know, you have President Obama out there in North Carolina. Hillary Clinton probably had her biggest crowd yet because <laughs> of Obama. Um, but POTUS is out there really like rolling around in the mud with the, with the pigs today because it's like, dude, you know, you're still kind of respectable and you're putting your honor on the line. I guess he's not he has, he's not under oath, so he can kind of say whatever he needs to say to say, look, I gave a good faith effort. See, I did my part. Um, that's what I really kind of feel from him because I don't really understand how he can reconcile the things that he has said about her, you know, this time eight years ago um, with what he's saying now. Like, maybe, I don't really know. Like, like he learned so much and has so much respect for her after the primaries, really. I don't, I don't, I don't see where that happened. I, I miss that. I mean, maybe you guys can enlighten me, help me figure that because maybe I'm wrong. But um, but it's just really interesting, you know, when, when when Director Comey, you know, goes through his statement and stuff today and he's just, OK, I'm going to explain to you what the issues are. Next, I'm going to explain to you how we did what we did. When does the FBI ever go through all that trouble to explain exactly what they did and how they did it? I mean, he goes point by point. It's almost as if he's laying out a clear case for the Republicans. Like, here, you idiots, this is how you do a proper investigation. You know, the Republicans spent their time spinning their wheels on Benghazi and didn't really get much of anything. Comey, you know, appears to have followed all proper measures in terms of his investigation and in terms of what he looked for, you know, for people who have claimed this is a Republican, you know, another Republican witch hunt. 
um, this was actually referred to, you know, their office by the inspector general. Um, the inspector general was a point is an Obama appointee. I mean, he was appointed in November, 2011. So you have a democratic administration, you have a democratic appointee and, you know, inspector general that went and looked at the practices and the email practices of not just secretary Clinton. I mean, her practices were under investigation, but also, you know, they looked at, you know, there were the, the IG report, I believe came out at the end of May. Um, they looked at the practices of Colin Powell. They looked at the practices of, you know, going back to Madeline Albright and Condoleezza Rice. And it was found that, you know, Colin Powell is really the first one to really Condoleezza Rice kind of, but not really, I think was what the result was. There was really nothing to find. But Colin Powell came in and was like, this system is antiquated. It completely needs to be redone. We have to bring people into the 21st century. Um, you know, the whole time Secretary Clinton's, you know, her staff, her campaign, she has maintained that we did everything legally correct. We did everything we're supposed to. We followed, you know, we did everything Colin Powell. The Colin Powell did it too. So we did what he did. <sighs> yeah. That like really every excuse, every rationalization absolutely broke down today with Director Comey's statement. Like everything completely broke down. Um, like I said, you guys taking calls eight five seven six hundred zero five one eight. Don't be shy. I'm a, I'm being nice. You know, I'm providing space for you. I mean, we can listen to me talk, or you guys can come on and talk. I mean, I'd much rather hear you talk. Um, about what are you thinking, kind of how you feeling, what's going on, or if you're in YouTube, any of the YouTube, if you want to drop a comment in YouTube. Um, can't really get to Twitter right now because then I'll be looking down at my phone, but um, definitely want to hear from you guys what's going on. But like I said, you know, there has been so much going on and we just, we just keep having people make excuses, you know, and Rice was like, okay, no criminal charges. It's done. Can we move forward now and be united as Democrats? No, boo. No. The fact that we are, the fact that we are crowning as queen of the Dems, someone who is so corrupt, she's so corrupt. It's so good at her corruption that the, even the FBI can't touch her. That's not, that's not because she's innocent. That's not because she's a beyond reproach. That's not because she did everything right. She actually did a whole lot wrong and it's very neatly detailed and laid out. And you don't think the Republicans are not going to have a field day with this. I mean, even if secretary Clinton somehow manages to win against Donald Trump in the fall, right? We have down ballot races to worry about mm. now and in 2018. And all these people, if any of you are up for re-election and you have dug in your heels in support of such corruption and e uneven handedness and preferential treatment in the system, like seriously, what does that, how does that, how does that help your races? Like, how does this help? Like, how does this help or not help or, you know, affect down ballot races going forward. Like, how do we trust your judgment as leadership if you're willing to stand by and say, it's okay that she broke the rules. It's okay that she repeatedly knowingly broke the rules. It's okay that she knew or should have known that the, that, that the classified emails that she was receiving on her private server had, had her house could have been hacked, but weren't. But, you know, I mean, even when he's like, well, at least if she had used a commercial server like Google, are you telling me that Google would have provided more safety? Like Gmail would have provided more safety than what secretary? And yes, Gmail was around then. So Gmail would have been better at least than what she kind of hamstrung together with her little private non-government, you know, workers doing stuff at her. Like, like this is so egregious on so many levels. And like I was trying to say before, like if you were, if she were a lower level um, government employee, like they would have brought the rain down on her. Like seriously, the hammer would have been brought down. It would have been no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It would have been no conversation about whether or not she really meant to do it. And it's not clear that her army of lawyers that sat there and deleted and destroyed and went through emails for submission upon her, you know, leaving, you know, it was misstated um, in one of the conversations around the IG report that Colin Powell also had not you know, was still not turning in documents. Um, but that's incorrect. 
you know, Colin Powell stated that he did not retain anything upon leaving office. You know, everything that was supposed to be turned over was turned over the way it was supposed to be. Um, he did not print anything out. He did not delete anything. He didn't burn anything. I mean, none of that stuff. Like, like what has come out and the way, you know, the brazen nature in which Secretary Clinton um, handled information. It just, it's just, there's just remarkable level of hubris, right? And entitlement. And, and we talk about judgment to lead and qualifications. What is, what, what type of qualification is this? What does this qualify you to do to disregard the rules of rules and regulations of law to just do whatever the hell you want to do? I mean, this is a democratic nation and you're supposed to be able to follow certain provisions and guidelines. And then if you do stuff wrong, allegedly, you're supposed to be held accountable. But apparently, as Chuck Haas points out earlier in his piece in The Hill, that only applies to, you know, brown folks, black folks and uh, people who have lesser means. Because clearly everybody else, if they got the money to pay, they don't got to play. I mean... You know, folks talking about I'm just this. I had faith in the criminal justice system. Why? Why would you have like that's what I'm saying? Like I never had any delusion that this would turn out any way differently, and from a criminal standpoint, than this already has. Because the Clintons have have escaped so many levels of corruption allegations before now. If they, I mean, they're at their they're at the zenith of their power, right? They are you know, the, the the most powerful political machine in Washington, arguably. And I, I mean, I almost wonder, like I joked about this on Twitter earlier, you know, anyone watches Game of Thrones, I've, I've said many times now that Hillary Clinton is very much like uh, Cersei Lannister. People want to say she's the Norma, Denor, Daenerys Storborn, you know, the unburnt, nah, she's not. Do I have a caller? Oh. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Apparently we're having calling. Oh, at least you guys are calling. I'm so sorry. Um, but we're working on it to get the phone lines up for you guys. Oh, awesome. So call in 857-600-0518. It is working. Thank you so much, David, for being behind the scenes making this happen. Um, want to hear from you guys and hear what you got to say. 857-600-0518, like I was saying. Um, you know, she's very much Cersei Lannister for me. You know, not put the, in, the incest part aside, but extremely ambitious, willing to burn down anything and everything, even part of her own uh, immediate property to, to, to maintain her position. Hello? Add this caller to your current call, press 5. To accept, press 1. To send a voicemail, press 2. To accept, press 1. To send a voicemail, press 2. So, um, try it. Come on, you guys. I know. It's a little frustrating. And uh, we're working on it. You know what I'm saying? This is a working process. This is democracy in action. Um, we are bringing this to you live free and um we are unbossed and unbothered by the mainstream media and all the spin that is happening because this is not a victory for hillary this is an indictment um not in the criminal legal sense but an indictment of her character an indictment of her judgment and an indictment of the whole damn system that is allowing for a very corrupt individual and her husband you know for the fact that for for bill clinton to waltz his lily white ass excuse my language for Bill Clinton to waltz on Loretta Lynch's plane last week, he knows full. We can we can argue semantics about what his legal background is. And he he himself is this far. He don't even got his damn license. You know, for him to waltz on the attorney general's plane while his wife is under investigation, they know full well how serious this is and isn't. This is not a game. This is not a game. This isn't just some coincidence. You know, they walk around with an air of inevitability. They walk around with an air of the rules don't matter. They don't apply to us. You know, there's this extreme level, like I said, of hubris. There's extreme level of disregard for process and rules from the very beginning that has been the case. And it is disgusting. So what you can say to me, well, no, what do we do? Let Trump be president? It's not about letting Trump be president. If Trump becomes president, that's on you. That is on you for pushing a very flawed and bad candidate. And this is not because she's a woman. 
this ain't got nothing to do with her being a woman. There's some really awesome women out there who are, whether they're in one of the third parties, you know, non-major parties that are running, there's some really strong women running for office right now, for, for president right now, who are not one of the major, one of the two major party candidates. There are also some really strong women within these parties who should be running, who need to be lifted up. Like this is an example. The fact that this is what the supposed best of the best that we have to deal with, this is a problem with the damn stock that we're pulling from, right? Like, if this is the best the Democrats have to offer, it's Hillary Rodham Clinton. Like, seriously, she's the best that, that Democrats have to offer. We are in trouble. And I say we as someone who generally votes Democrat, as someone who leans left in my voting. No, that does not mean I'm running out to vote for Donald Trump. And it does not mean that if I don't vote for Hillary Clinton, that I'm giving Donald Trump the vote. I'm not giving Donald Trump anything. You are. You are by pushing this very bad candidate. You are by flaunting and disregarding the rules and reckless indifference to classified information, reckless indifference to national security. That's what has happened. Yes. Yay, caller. Hey, no, it's Michael Salamone. Hi, Michael. How uh, are you? Uh, you just hit on something I would love to get your take on, which is this. I keep calling it the Coke versus Pepsi choice that if you're against Hillary, you're automatically for Trump and how I think that that is inherently wrong. And I'm, I'm curious on, on your thoughts to expound on that topic. Well, um, <laughs> good question. Um, Coke versus Pepsi, you know, soda's not good for you. You know, soda's addictive. It has a lot of sugar. It's not actually leads to diabetes and a lot of other things. It's not actually good for you. So I say uh, go organic or don't drink soda at all. Um, as I try to wean myself from my own soda habit. But no, seriously, that I mean, that's a really great question. You know, everyone acts like as if we have to vote for her, right? If she, you know, come convention time, becomes the nominee officially at the convention because you, that's what still has to happen. We still have a convention, right? So she becomes a nominee is not getting behind her despite all this egregious stuff that continues to pile up. I mean, this woman has awful judgment. And if, and if her judgment in a national security context like this is not indicative to problematic you know, issues down the line, you know, the only person that I can think of really right now, contemporary and, um, you know, international politics that acts so brazen and disregard for rule of law, the only person I can think of on top of my head is Netanyahu. And I, for one, do not want a Netanyahu. Like, I don't want a Netanyahu. And considering, you know, Bibi's like her best friend, um, that's not that far of a stretch to imagine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want someone who's just so gung-ho and cavalier about law, about even something that's so basic that you don't I mean, this was something that's so stupid for her to even be lying about. Like, why are you lying about this? And what else do you lie about? That's my problem. So, no, holding someone accountable and demanding that they not abuse my trust and abuse my vote, that is not saying that, okay, Donald Trump is it. No, like I said, if Donald Trump becomes president, if Donald Trump wins, that's because the Democrats sat on their damn their hands and did not do what needed to be done to make sure that they had a winning candidate. You know, maybe this is the breakout year finally for the Green Party. Uh, I don't really know where I stand in the Libertarians, but, you know, maybe this is a third party breakout year. I do not know. But I do know that we are definitely going to see one for the for the books. I mean, this is going to be an election. Uh, one of my friends actually hit me up on Twitter. She said, wow, this is like 2000 all over again. Not quite kind of different issues, but in terms of the, the, the monumental nature of what what the outcome could be, it potentially is. I mean, we may have the House deciding who's president where we had the Supreme Court last time. So, um, yeah, if anybody else wants to call in, 857-600-0518. I do not believe that not voting for Hillary Clinton is automatically giving Trump the win. I mean, the Clinton camp, Democratic Party, that is on them. Yes, Hello? this is Tehuli uh, Sarah. How you doing? I am pretty good, and you? I'm hanging in there. What's going on? What are you thinking about tonight? Okay, um, what I think is the best thing to do is to think about what is the best way we can go forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that um, Hillary's going to get indicted. There's supposed to be other investigations, and maybe the DOJ can um, recommend um, indictments, even though the FBI didn't do it. I don't, I don't think anything happened to her. 
The best right. thing that can happen for us as a Democratic Party is for the Democratic Party to make her the nominee. That would be the best thing long-term. The reason why I said long-term is because when everybody's pissed off that Hillary is the the Democrat nominee, mm-hmm. after she throw all those elections across the country, they're going to move to another party. Everybody wants a third party on both sides. This is a four-way election, not three, not two. So we can move to the Green Party and support um, Jill Stein, and there's other people going to support uh, um, the Libertarian Party. Now, I'm all for Jill Stein, but if I see okay. that Jill Stein ain't going to make it, there's another 5% chance that she can make it, like last time, or 1% or whatever it was, then the best thing to do next down from that is the Libertarian Party. Now, I know a lot of people don't like the Libertarian, libertarian Party. And I saw you once before, you were talking about um, the guns. You say you don't, you're not too progressive when it comes to guns and stuff like that. I'm, I'm like that with you. I'm like that with you. There's a lot of things I don't agree with the Democratic Party on, and I'm not that I'm not that progressive when it comes to guns. I believe in gun ownership. I believe everybody should be required to have one. Okay. But at the same time, I'm more of the type of person to say, hey, listen, what's the best thing we can do next? And into the Democratic Party, into the Republican Party, we know the Green Party don't have a chance. What should we do next? The Libertarian Party. They're not for everything we want. They say that they want to eliminate Social Security. Let me tell you right now, that is not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But besides that, you can't say nothing else that you don't like about them. They're for ending the war on drugs. They're from the, the, the homosexuals and supporting them. And therefore, everything that we're, that we're a part of as a Democratic Party, if you're progressive, except for a couple of fiscal conservatives, um, um, money things. That's how. So you think that this, <laughs> so Jill Stein, Green Party, like basically her be, being the nominee is the best thing that can happen for the rise of a strong third party option or third and fourth, you know, independent option, basically, um, in the country is basically what I get the gist of what you're saying. Right, right. Like I mean, when she have, becomes a nominee, it's going to push way. more people away and into, you know, independent voting choices. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that's a really, that's a really interesting point, though. Like, if with Secretary Clinton as the nominee, right, she becomes a nominee, you know, that does... I mean, more people already in, right. indicate their allegiance as independent than either of the two major parties. I mean, is it time for America to look towards, um, you know, either a multi-party system of some sorts, a coalition government, some other form of party system that exists, you know, in other countries? I mean, do we do we open up the opportunity, you know, with this election? Do we provide the opportunity for meaningful, um, independent representation or, you know, one of the, the, the other third party um, groups that are trying to um, really make that breakthrough on the national level. Do we see, you know, the libertarian um, candidate Gary Johnson making a strong push and Jill Stein is 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 coming along in the polls as well. I mean, there are a lot of people who are going green. Um, it's not a coincidence, you know, that that oh, we have another caller. Yay. Hi, caller. How are you? Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit or just bring up the fact that other people have been uh, indicted or gone to jail for the same sorts of things like Chelsea Manning. Yes. Thank you so much, caller. Appreciate that. Um, Yeah, definitely. um, Shout out to some of our research team because um, folks have been sending in tweeting out stuff like that all day long of other examples of, um, you know, when people have been indicted. And I actually have two um, I think Glenn Greenwald wrote a piece back in July of last year about, um, I think it was July of last year. Or may, it might have been, we're in July now, so I could be mixing my Julys up. But basically laying out the case of of, of how this is very similar um, to prior cases and how what Director Comey is saying did not exist in this case, you know, but what existed in prior cases, you know, basically how it actually did exist in this case. And he was just looking for a way out. So, um it's really interesting, though, that that is a really good point. There are several cases where people who retain whether we have another caller. Hi, caller. Hello. Hey, it's uh, Jonathan Marcantoni. I was calling in to join the show. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Well, you're in the hangout already, <laughs> so we will get you on in just three minutes. <laughs> so yeah. happy to have you. Thank you for joining. 
You guys, yeah, like I said, we got three minutes on this topic still, and then I'm switching to my interview for the night because while this definitely is pressing, look for um, a piece definitely for me and the rest of Progressive Army. I know we're all, all going to continue talking about this topic and writing about it, you know, in the coming weeks and months. I am going to be working on a, my piece still from earlier this afternoon after the show. Um, but just to wrap up with the last caller, the, that is that is correct. There were there are several people which I got, um, like I said, several different articles sent to me about people who have been charged um, while they may not have been convicted, but at least indicted. Some people have been charged. Some people had time. Some people have basically had their careers destroyed. I mean, and there's also an article about how Secretary Clinton herself is very, very um, hard. Um, she believes in harsh penalties for protecting, you know, um, information, classified information, um, proper handling. Like she herself has been in favor of prosecuting low-level government employees and much less, you know, situations of significance. And it's rather hypocritical considering what she herself has done in the situation we find ourselves in. So I appreciate everyone who tried to call in. Let's definitely continue this conversation. I'm sure Ben is going to pick it up at nine. Um, definitely tune in, Ben. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining us. And now I'm turning to my interview with Jonathan. Um, I, you know, I mean, we can't just be like, <laughs> all the time. We got to have some good stuff to talk mm -hmm. about as well. So Jonathan, please introduce yourself. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, uh, I appreciate yeah, of course, you doing no, I just no, found you yesterday, and now we're on today. <laughs> well, you know, we clicked, and when you click with yes. somebody, you don't wait another week <laughs> no, to talk no. to them, right? So please introduce yourself um, real quickly, and then let's let's chop it up. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, well, my name is Jonathan Marcantoni. I'm a, a Puerto Rican author. Um, don't let the lack of accent fool you. I'm from Fajardo, <laughs> Puerto Rico. Uh, and I have... Uh, I've been in the publishing game for seven years. Um, okay. Uh, I started out as an editor at Savant Books and Publications, which is this little house in Hawaii. And then um, I became editor-in-chief and was a co-founder of I Know Publishing. Um, and we actually made it, well, while I was editor-in-chief, we, we made it a big deal to seek out Latino authors. Um, uh I'm very happy to say that four of my authors have won awards for their books. Oh, nice. Um, so very, very proud of all of them. They're, they're really aggressive and, and um, passionate uh, writers. So ambitious. Is that, I couldn't think of the word ambitious. <laughs> um, but but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm also a novelist myself, and, and I write essays, satires. Um, I have four books that are out. Uh, my most recent was Kings of Seventh Avenue, which was about the Tampa club scene, um, okay. and particularly about the misogyny that inflects that, mm -hmm. that scene, and um, and how how that misogyny, you know, it, it's very much tied to machismo. Um, Tampa has a, a huge Italian and and uh, Puerto Rican and Cuban heritage to it, mm -hmm. uh, but that seeps out into the the larger culture. So it was. It was a love story with a very similar, oh, not similar, a very serious subcontext to it, and um, and th that's me. I'm, uh, I know we were going to talk about. Uh, I'm about to launch a new publishing house, um, so so yeah, so, sweet. Still trying to get out there and and represent uh, Hispanic writers and Caribbean writers because we don't have a whole lot of outlets. Um, no, that's 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 true um so just just like i mentioned earlier in the show you guys um just reflecting on the fourth of july a little bit uh i ran across uh this piece from latina rebel um and it was actually written by jonathan about basically being puerto rican on the fourth of july <laughs> um and i thought it was awesome because i think like we have all these arbitrary distinctions you know whether you're puerto rican black you know mexican whatever it is you know we have all these arbitrary distinctions but for many of us native american for many of us we have similar feelings of conflict um for some people angst around when we talk about these holidays like the fourth of july or columbus day you know these these holidays mm -hmm. that are rooted in and continue considering what's going on so i was really excited and followed him and then we clicked like he said and we chatted back and forth and so he told me about this really amazing project that he's working on and mm -hmm. it's definitely we talk about you know progressive media and, and and independent media but we definitely need you know publishing and and literature that reflects you know we talk a lot about representation 
um, exactly what Jonathan is working on now is the, exactly it helps fill out, you know, the, the 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 circle, so to speak, when we're talking about, you know, increasing representation in media, progressive media, independent media, having independent progressive publishing, you know, that's representative and expanding the voices of others is great. So, Jonathan, tell me a little bit about this new imprint, the, the group you're working with and kind of how you got yeah, started. Uh, well, well, first, let me say, uh, when you were saying about, you know, we have to have some, some positive stuff, it can't always be fierce. Um, uh, de- definitely, if, if I'm on the show again, you can bring me on to be fierce, too. Uh, my, my article is <laughs> well, definitely, definitely, definitely. But we'll definitely have to, we'll have to chop that up a little bit more, too. But I, but I wanted to do, yeah. we needed something like kind of upbeat, because there's yeah, so yeah, much right now that keeps us all like, this was oh, no, I, I found this no. very motivating um, listening to you. Well, reading, <laughs> listening. We were chatting yesterday, <laughs> read, chatting about mm-hmm. your the imprint and kind of how you got started and what you were looking at doing. So, so our imprint, uh, we're like Asita Grande is the, the name of the publisher. We're an mm-hmm. imprint of Black Rose Writing, which is a really great um, medium-sized press in San Antonio. Okay. And the the owner of it, uh, well, they, they published my last book, and the owner of it launched two imprints earlier this year. One was for um, environmental lit- literature, and oh, another nice. one is a design service for self-published authors to help them okay. have high-quality design. Okay. And um, my... My idea for La Casita Grande is, is one that I've carried around for a long time. I mean, going back to my early 20s, I'm, I'm 32 now. Um, so it's something I've been thinking about for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And me and um, one of my authors, Chris Campagnoni, is, went from being one of my authors, now he's one of my very close friends. Mm-hmm. We started a mentorship program because uh, called University Project. And the impetus behind that that program was to teach writers the business side of writing as well as wow, okay. help them with the artistic side of writing because the business side is shut off to a lot of poor people because they can't go to conferences right um or i mean they don't even have the money to buy books you know i mean um i, I myself I've, I've spent most of my adult life um in pretty bad poverty uh, really skinning to get by. The most stable I've ever been was I spent four years in the army. <laughs> okay. Um, and, um, you know, you know and part of that is having kids when you're 22, <laughs> you know, that, that makes a big difference. But, but, you know, I've, I've, I've always struggled getting into the writing world as an author because um, so much of of the access to, mm-hmm. you know, New York presses or to big time yeah. journals, um, really to that exposure, you have to spend a ton of money. Right. And being, you know, a, a young parent, being, you know, struggling to, to get by and then, then being in the military and all, it's like, I, I can never attend them. I can never right, go to them. Right. But because I got a job at a publishing house and was able to move up um, on that side, on that end of things, okay. I got that exposure. And one of the things that I found was that all of these supposed gateways, like conferences and workshops are all, they're complete BS. Like there's nothing that they, <laughs> there's no information that they give you that you couldn't figure out on your own. <laughs> um, or that you shouldn't get for free. And so right. me and Chris, we started um, this mentorship program where we would hook up people with our connections. We have a lot of media connections. We have a lot of artistic connections and publishing connections. And so, um, so we would get these up and coming authors. And one of the things I'm very proud to say is that all of our authors uh, that went through the program were all female and um, three of them were women of color. Nice. You know, and, and I think that's, that's super important that we have that. So, when when I saw that Black Rose Writing was was starting imprints, I pitched them like a Cita Grande, which was to do publishing, but not where you just sign the writer and publish their book and leave them to the woods to figure right. out what to do. Right. Um, so much because the, the greatest misconception that authors have is that when the book comes out, it's going to be a hit. Like, yeah. It's like millions of people are going to want to read their book. And, and one of the things that I always have to tell writers whether I'm working with them as an editor, as a publisher or whatever, uh, even just as a friend, 
um, is that you're going to be met by indifference. Right. Like that is, that's the baseline is indifference. So how do you cultivate interest? Um, how do you fight against that? And so our, our publishing structure is that we sign the writers and then we spend nine months getting them to set up a website, helping okay. them out with setting up their, their social media profiles, making you know, author profiles, not personal ones, um, cultivating interest in, in their community, not, not just the community online, but their personal community, you know, going out and, and doing events mm-hmm. um, that are free or, or organizing events. How do you organize events? So many people don't even know how to do that. So many writers don't know how to do an interview properly. So right. teaching them those skills and introducing them to, to our network of, of artists and publishing uh, figures and, and media figures um, so that, and, and, and all the while we're working on the manuscript at the same time, we're editing the manuscript at the same time. So at the end of nine months, when their book comes out, um, they already have a base. They already have a readership. Uh, right. They already have events lined up. You know, there, there's already things moving as opposed to the book coming out and them just shrugging their shoulders, not sure what to do next. So it sounds like a real meaningful investment in the writer from the very beginning and not just waiting to see kind of like who sticks, you know, after right, so exactly. many attempts. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what, what <laughs> well, what, just to kind of step back a little bit, cause I kind of, what kind of motivated you though, to first start like really writing? I mean, writing, you know, people have stories that we all have stories to tell, but not everybody mm-hmm. can discipline themselves to, to sit down and write an essay, let alone an entire book or a book, yeah. let alone an essay. Well, like I got started out in theater when I was a real little kid. Uh, um, okay. I actually started doing theater when I was six. And from a very young age, um, me and my friends would write skits together. Mm-hmm. And me and my cousins, we would write like little goofy short films that we would <laughs> do around the house. It was just crazy stuff like stop motion animation with Aunt Jemima and a joint. <laughs> and, and, you know, things, things like that. We were, we were rowdy kids, right? Gotcha. So, <laughs> so, um, so when when I really got into acting and doing community theater and semi-professional theater, one of the mm-hmm. things that you find when you're really young and when you're just a teenager is how limiting your roles are. So yeah, okay. me and my friends, we, we, we started up this little group we called Orwell's. Um, and, and that was after this, this cafe that we used to go to. Um, mm-hmm. So Orwell's was just us getting together like every weekend and we would workshop each other's scripts. And sometimes we would take, you know, our parents' camcorder and go around town and film improvs or try to make a movie out of our scripts or whatever. And it was a real, it was a real like intense collective of, of artists that we had. Um, and, and so when, when I moved to Atlanta, I moved to Atlanta when I was, when I was 19 uh, to Mm -hmm. go to the art Institute. Okay. And um, that only lasted like three months. <laughs> it, it wasn't a very good experience. Gotcha. But uh, but after that, you know, I wanted. I mean, I, I was living on my own. I was working odd jobs, and mm-hmm. I still wanted to be creative. And I found that I couldn't afford to do you know unpaid internships and right. to work in a theater for like less than minimum wage to do a play. Right. Um, and the film scene, forget about it. You know, I mean, that's, that's all a lot of work and no money. So, um, and you know, they, this was in 06. So it was before Walking Dead and Atlanta. Right. It's before Atlanta <laughs> South, the Hollywood South, the Hollywood South boom. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cause it's exactly. insane so, now. They're getting ready to film the Black Panther here. Like it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I know that's going to be awesome. I mean, well, well, no, the, the director, I mean, he is one of the most exciting directors out there. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I want him to like be what Spike Lee could have been, you know, like, like be a super successful. <laughs> my friend, just we have, I love Spike Lee. My friend, what? we have a series of conversations ahead of us, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly. So, but, but, so anyway, I, yeah, go ahead. Hmm? No, I was going to say, no, go I ahead. Just, uh, I, 
I, I got my first um, writing gig. It was with this production company that was down on the West End um, called Formis. And okay. it was a pretty raggedy operation, but but they, they paid me. It was the first time I got paid for my writing. And, and I saw that, well, writing, you know, I can have the three jobs and uh, all this craziness in my life and still find the time to do it. Right. So, right. so that, that was how I got started with dedicating myself just to writing. But I also... I also try to infuse my writing with those theatrical and, and filmic uh, influences that I have. Right. So I created a style called visualism. And okay. Visualism is, is writing that is, it's very intense. It's very expressive and it's highly dependent on specific visual images. And um, that's something that my, my upcoming book to actually like I take styles of painting and photography, and I I learned how to imitate them with oh, words. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's what I call portrait style. Okay. And um, so you know, you were asking me about, uh, uh, or you, you were mentioning about, you know, how I'm wanting to to do some really good things for for these minority writers, and one of those things is showing them that hey, you guys can be completely experimental and crazy and just mm-hmm. unique and find an audience like that's not just the bevy of white people and most white people are just writing bland crap anyway so so be super expressive super experimental super unique and bring an audience to you don't be afraid of being different so how have you found like working just just in what you've been doing in buildings of how have you found that building the audience how have you found that 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 process You've been doing it now for what a decade or so. You've been you said so. Like, how has it been now that social media is kind of like, you know, with Twitter and Facebook and stuff? It's, it's, it's kind of at a higher point than it was, you know, when we're talking about early mid two thousands. Like, how have you found building that that right. social media presence, that audience, that finding that niche? Well, you know, actually, social media has helped in some ways because mm-hmm. people have become so attuned to building a community within a bubble. Ah, okay. So, I mean, just the, the whole practice of, of social media has become so specified to who you are or who you'd like to be. Okay. Um, that, that cultivating an audience that, that recognizes you for just being you as opposed to trying to be like other people mm-hmm. is actually a whole lot easier. Yeah, whereas right. the, before social media, uh, if you tried to be really different, um, you would get shunned left and right um, right you know i've i've been i've been called every horrible thing as an artist like every kind of insult you could imagine is being broke down is like you know you you don't even know how to write like i even got told that was you don't even know how to write <laughs> no. um you know i mean people will say really nasty things and b- before the advent of social media you couldn't just you know, hop on your Facebook or hop on your Twitter, be like, so-and-so said this about me and then get like 20, 30, 40 people defending you and Mm -hmm. trying to lift you up and stuff. So, I mean, and and, yeah, I I know that social media isn't always positive. Believe me, I I got like, I I got the negative end of social media once (laughs) for a piece (laughs) that I wrote. So, so I know how bad it can be, but but the, the fact of the matter is when, when you're trying to find your own audience, it's much easier now because you already are designing your life to, to surround yourself with people who are like-minded. Okay. Um, I mean, there's, there's things that are very limiting and not so good about that. But right. in this instance, it's kind of a positive. It works out for you. Okay. Um, so just tell me, so let's go back to the imprint. So what's kind of like, what's your timeline? Like, what are you looking at? Like, where are you at with it? And, and when are you looking to launch? And All right. Well, we're, we're going to do a launch party on October 20th. Okay. Um, my editorial crew is in Brooklyn. I'm in Colorado Springs, which is in um, South Central uh, Colorado. And... Um, so, so this is going to be really, it's going to be really different for Colorado. Now, not just for Colorado, it's Colorado as a whole. This is a state that is only very recently uh, darkening, so to speak. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I got into some trouble because I called out the, um, the, the Pikes Peak Writers Conference, which is right here in Colorado Springs. It's okay. the largest writers conference in the Rocky Mountain region. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, that, that's covering like, I think it's seven or eight states, largest okay. conference. And for the last three years, and even beyond, but the last three years is where I've been paying attention, all of their prominent speakers have all been white. They're, the agents that they bring in for the conferences, uh, you'll have a couple females, maybe one female of color, one guy of color, and then 20 white people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and I called them out on it, um, but they don't want to do anything about it. Uh, but, but you go into writers groups, you go into, I have an organization here, um, Lighthouse Writers in Denver, and it's really predominantly just white run. There is not a Latino voice here. And so my goal is with La Casita Grande, you know, when we, we talk a lot with our writers about you need to integrate yourself into your own community. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking to do here. You know, we're okay. like, hey, yeah, we're for Latino and Caribbean writers. We know there's not a huge percentage of the population. Actually, only 13% of Colorado's population is Latino. Okay. Um, but, but the tools that we're giving them and the voice that we're giving them is something that benefits all of us. It benefits our entire community. Can attract a lot more interest. Can attract a lot more creativity here. Nice. And you know, so so we we see ourselves as a Colorado company, uh, not oh. just you know, not just a Latino one. Awesome, awesome. I love it. So, um, pardon thoughts because. Our time is already. Yeah, I know because we could talk forever. Can't but, we? but 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 no, but definitely we're gonna have, we're gonna schedule some more conversations because seriously, I'm, you have a new friend now. Um, <laughs> but just, just just to wrap it up, what were parting thoughts about like Casita Grande or anything else mm-hmm. you know involving the writing, the work that you would want to? You know, I, I just want to say, um, you know, kind of kind of what what we you were talking about um, with, with with blacks and, and Latinos and, and the way that we're treated as opposed to how like white people get treated, like Hillary Clinton, for instance. Um, <laughs> you, you know, one thing that, that I want to put out there is, you know, the the past is whatever the past was. Mm-hmm. And it can is very easy, especially in progressive communities, to get hung up on the past not being what we wish it was. Mm. And okay. I think that really what, what's best, especially, you know, to, to take on the moniker of progressive, it means moving forward. Um, right. It doesn't mean forgetting the past, but it means taking what was there in the past and trying to create a better future. Mm-hmm. And that, that especially goes with, with artists, you know, as, as, as artists, you know, it's, it's really not, if we just look at our past through these mythological eyes of like, well, brown people are always the victim, white people are always the, the dominant oppressors or whatever. For, for one thing, that's not accurate. It's not an accurate view of the past. Um, but also that affects the way that we perceive the present and how we can shape the future. Because if you're really wanting a society of equals, if you're really wanting unique expression and you're really wanting art that that pushes people into new terrain and trans and is transformative because art should be transformative, then you have to look at the nitty gritty of the world and recognize, Hey, there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of good. How can I learn from the bad and how can I increase the good? And when you look at it that way, then you're talking about building bridges where they had once been burned down. And I think that as artists, we really should focus on that a lot more because you, if you're going to be mad, be mad at things you can change. Right. You know, you, you, you can't change what happened in 1950, but you can change what's happening in 2016. You know, um, I, I've gotten on to, to a lot of Latino activists about like, you know, you guys want to rail against the Spaniards for something that happened 500 years ago, but you give America a pass <laughs> when, you know, just, just, back, just back in May, hey, just back in May, just back in May, they helped overthrow Brazil's leftist government. And it's all this another conversation. Yes, another yes, conversation. Yeah, exactly. yes, so, another conversation. Many conversations ahead of us. 
I, so I, if we're going to enact change, we need to focus on the now, on, on the now and the protecting now. society we have in front of us. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Definitely agree. Yeah. I appreciate you so much for joining me on such short notice and, and definitely providing some lighthearted motivation. And mo- I mean, it's for real, motivation to, to, to the show this evening because talking politics all the time can get so... Uh. <laughs> So I appreciate you so much for joining me. And we'll definitely have to keep conversing and um, schedule another conversation. We can talk Mm -hmm. some more, especially looking towards, you know, the the launch of the imprint, because that's pretty exciting. And I'm going to have to message you you about getting at least your your most recent book. Um, So I appreciate (laughs) you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Later. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. That is my show for the evening, guys. I know you're kind of like, how did she go from like talking about Doc McStuffins, the 4th of July, Hillary Clinton to a brand new literary imprint? But, you know, I mean, life is happening constantly in motion. We have so many things that are continuing to blossom and bloom and we have opportunities. I know it may seem dark. I know it may seem like frustrating. I know I've done that several times, but I I don't even have a word for that feeling right now. Like I get it, you guys, but we, we always got to keep looking forward. As Jonathan just said, you know, the past, I mean, we can't be stuck in the past. We can't be stuck being angry, but we definitely can let, let the facts, the past, the information inform where we're going, what we're doing and how we're moving. So we definitely have choices in front of us. We have things to build out. We have steps. We have opportunity. We have room for engagement. And and we need to start setting the the scope, setting the standard and stop accepting the crap that is being given to us um, and and, and upholding the status quo. So I had I had a quote tonight um, that I wanted to share with you. And then I encourage everyone definitely, you know, go round up your friends and make sure you tune in for my big brother. Um, Benjamin Dixon show is coming on right after me at nine o'clock. Um, and I'm closing out with this quote from Wilma Rudolph. Never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us. The potential for greatness lives within each of us. The potential to make a change, to make a meaningful difference is definitely within our reach. And we have to take of clear stock at all the information in front of us. We cannot just fall in line because, oh, they are bad. We have to do what is right based on our own moral center and compass. So I thank all of you for joining this evening. Um, always a pleasure. Definitely check out, you know, Project Sanity this Thursday. The Louisa Project has episodes on the channel as well. Um, if you haven't checked out any of Nick's, Nick's specials, check out Nick. Um, Slick Nick X on Twitter. <laughs> but Project Sandy starts 7 o'clock, 7 to 9 on Thursday nights. BPD shows coming up next at 9 p.m. Um, and, and seriously, for people who are wondering what should you do, if you're not happy with either of the two main party choices, you know, I mean, consider going third party or definitely check out the interviews with Dr. Gloud, um, abstaining from the presidential election vote as a whole and then focusing on down ballot votes as well. There's so many strategies and opportunities out there. We're going to continue having these conversations. This has been Anoa with The Way. I'm out. Appreciate you guys. Bye.